Welcome, friends, to another episode of Leadology. Yes, that's false. This is Leadosophy and not Leadology. But today we're going to be talking a little Abraham Maslow. Uh, we're going to talk about a book called Maslow on Management. I extracted a page out of here. I want to briefly discuss it, its importance to leadership, its importance to social settings, relation, human relationships. A lot of people don't know that Maslow not only studied psychology, was an academic of psychology on an individual level, but he also dabbled in organizational psychology, studying organizations in the dynamic and very complex relationships that happen in social settings, group social settings to include the business, communities, tribes. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is some, some studies he did with the Blackfoot Indians observing the Blackfoot Indians. That's what we're going to talk about today, see if we can apply it to leadership in general. And this is a this is a blockbuster episode. We're dabbling in, into psychology, which we've never really completely done here on Leadosophy. But, you know, if I can be honest, if I didn't study uh, philosophy, I would have loved to go into psychology. I'm really fascinated by how the human mind works. And I think it has a lot of carry over into the world of leadership from a psychological standpoint, how we deal with all these complex leadership or complex uh, relationships in an organization, small organizations, large organizations, and in a community too, right? Within a community. So if I look a little different, if you're watching, yeah, I shaved the beard off. Um, I've grown my beard out probably six times now since I retired from the military. A couple times real long. You can see the picture up on the screen right now. Take it all in. That was a gigantic beard, very thick. Um, really uh, an absorbent of oil. Leadosophy likes the, uh, the beard oils. Anyways. So yeah, so being in the military for 20 years, you shave every single day. When you're in the military, it's required. You have to be clean shaven. Minus the beard, you can grow a gnarly, or minus a mustache, you can grow a gnarly mustache if you like. But I wasn't a big fan of mustaches. So anyways, if I look a little different, it's because I shaved the beard. So there we go. I hope you are here with an open mind for this episode because that is the rule and not the exception. Here we go. Hope you enjoy this episode. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of leadosophy, Tim Wood. I want to inform the listeners before this episode really truly kicks off. We're going to be talking about Maslow's work with the Blackfeet Nation. The Blackfeet Indian Reservation is home to the 17,321 member Blackfeet Nation, one of the 10 largest tribes in the United States. Established by treaty in 1855, the reservation is located in northwest Montana. You can check out blackfeetnation.com blackfeetnation.com if you want to learn more about the Blackfeet Nation Indian tribe. 
Uh, they have a really nice website. Check it out. Uh, I'm actually going to try to to reach out uh, to the Blackfeet Nation, see if I can get somebody on Leadosophy. See if I can get somebody on Leadosophy that wants to to wax anything leadership or just anything in general. I think it'd be a great guest. So, all right, here we go. Back to the episode. All right, welcome back, friends, to Leadosophy. I didn't say leadology this time. Leadosophy gets a little jealous when we go into the weeds of psychology. No, not really. I think they both complement themselves really well. So we're gonna we're gonna enjoy diving into some psychology, or at least kind of some some things that Maslow uh, understood from the from his time with the Blackfoot Indians. So you can see up on the screen, I have the page we're going to talk about. It's page 24 in your Maslow on Management book. So if you could please turn the page to 24. I'm just, I'm just kidding, obviously. Some of you may actually have this book at home. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to assume because if you've watched me before, or if you've watched Leadosity before, you know, not a big fan of assumptions. Or if I am a fan of assumptions, it's letting people know what my assumptions are so they can see the... Uh, kind of the nerve center behind what I'm thinking about. But anyways, this book is is written by Deborah Stevens and Gary Heil. Um, they co-authored this book. They reproduced a lot of Maslow's writings in here. So it's a really good book. I actually have a quote on the very front. You probably can't read it from here, but I have a quote on the very front. Weaknesses are the normal part of the human condition. And I actually have that on page 24, the one you're looking at right here. Weaknesses are the normal part of the human condition. So we're going to talk about that a little bit too. All right, so I'm going to put the book away here. And we're going to see, look look up on the screen. Maslow, the author's right, Maslow defines synergy as a culture in which what is beneficial for the individual is beneficial for everyone. High synergy cultures are secure benevolent and high in morale low synergy cultures are insecure in conflict and low in morale so in your life the cultures that you you are a part of whether it's your facebook groups um, your peers at work your organization at large take a minute to think about if you had to if you were placed on the spot and you had to you had to say whether your culture was high synergy or low synergy. What would you classify it as? What would you classify it as? Maybe you're a college student. You know, maybe my son's listening to this. The groups that you're around in school, you know, in your classes. Um, what are those cultures like? Are they high, high synergy, low synergy? Is there a lot of conflict? You know, what about the organizations where there, where there is a lot of conflict? Can you be high synergy and always in conflict? Seems like a contradiction almost. The authors continue here. The concept of synergy became increasingly more important to Maslow's organizational theories as he saw too many business cultures in which one success could only occur at the expense of others. Yet during a summer at nonlinear systems, Maslow witnessed firsthand a high synergy work environment. The environment Andy Kay and his colleagues had worked hard to create, and I'm assuming Andy Kay uh, worked at this, um, at this place that Maslow watched or studied. 
The environment Andy Kay and his colleagues had worked hard to create reminded Maslow of his fieldwork with the Blackfoot Indians. And this is where we're going to start diving into specifically what Maslow observed from his time with the Blackfoot Indians, observing them in social settings, how they shared knowledge, how leadership kind of went back and forth based on situations and contexts, and not necessarily one person is always the designated leader, which I really find interesting because from a leadership perspective, at any moment, you or I or someone we know can be thrust into this position of leadership and not expect it. You know, we're looked at or seen to be the leader in a certain context because we may have a certain set of skills or bits of knowledge that the other people in the social setting do not have. So they're looking to you to lead the crowd. How many of you have been placed in that situation before? It happens all the time. It happens every day. And organizations within the community, doesn't matter. So here we go. The authors write, much of what Maslow believed about synergy came from his study of the Blackfoot Indians, whose culture was unmistakably synergistic. He found the Blackfoot culture stood in stark contrast to that of a modern organization. So if we think about this contrast with the modern organization, the Blackfoot Indian tribe and the organization, I think of a quote. I think it was Montesquieu. And I could be wrong. So you have to double check, fact check me on this one. Without comparisons, the mind, the mind knows not how to proceed. Without comparisons, the mind knows not how to proceed. So again, fact check me on that. Uh, if that was Montesquieu, 18th century-ish. Anyways, so we're comparing and contrasting the Blackfoot culture and the modern organization or business. So he gives some examples of what these comparisons and contrasts look like. The first point, he, the, the authors write, an emphasis on generosity, and again, they're talking about Maslow's studies with the culture. An emphasis on generosity was the highest virtue of the tribe. Think about that. An emphasis, emphasis on generosity was the highest virtue of the tribe. Accumulating assets or knowledge received scant or little praise. Giving assets, knowledge, and property away was what brought one true prestige and security within the tribe. So it's not taking knowledge, assets, property, things, objects. It's giving them away, right? Now, I would, I would argue that if you're giving something away, someone has to be receiving these, right? There has to be a receiver if there's a giver. But I will say, from a leadership standpoint, when we are giving knowledge away, uh, we're building the organization. We're building our followership, right? I wrote, you can see my, my annotations in this, this passage here. I wrote KTR, and that's, for me, that stands for Knowledge, Tools, and Resources. And I would also say, I would almost say KTRB, which B stands for barriers. So as in a leadership role, if I have a group of followers, whether in the community or in the organization, in the business, I think that one of my primary jobs as a leader is to provide knowledge, the tools, 
and the resources to do your job properly, more efficiently, and to remove barriers to performance, right? It's about clearing everything out of the way so that the, the people around you can just focus on, I bring this up a lot, technical competence. They can focus on being really good at what they do. They can master their craft. If they have a bunch of barriers in place that you know they have to do workarounds, whether they're processes or whatever, it's really hard to master your craft when you have a bunch of unnecessary or dysfunctional processes that you're dealing with, whether at work, you know, in a, in a business setting, wherever, in the work office. It doesn't matter. So yes, giving knowledge away, giving tools to those around you, giving resources, showing people where to find the correct resources. Man, that's leadership. I, mean, I, I, I brought this up in my last episode. That's the nitty-gritty everyday leadership, doing little things like this. In your, within your sphere of influence that make others better or able to succeed. That's what it's really all about or part of what it's all about. For me, that's what I've come to understand. The authors continue to write, Through extensive testing, Maslow discovered that the Indian tribe suffered less from self-doubt and self-consciousness than did people from more competitive environments and ways of life. It was as if each tribe member knew his or her strengths and weaknesses. Weaknesses were not ostracized, but accepted as a normal part of the human condition. And that's the part that I wrote in the very front of my book. Um, weaknesses are, are seen as the normal part of the human condition. Think about our current society and culture today. And again, whether you're a high school student or you're a college student, or, you know, you have a high profile position in a company, or you're just new to the company. Think about how hard we try to not fail, right? How hard we work to not fail, to be seen as a failure, to make a mistake, right? I, when I taught risk management in the Coast Guard, I always relied on some some verbiage from the Marine Corps Risk Management Manual because they talk about the zero defect mindset. And this zero defect mindset is this, it's almost this paranoia, this uh, fear to, this, to not make a mistake. And sometimes that's for fear of being punished and again, being ostracized, whatever it might be. So if you consistently or perpetually live in an environment where you're afraid to make a mistake, you have to ask yourself why. What is the, the underlying condition or conditions that are creating that fear? You know, and maybe it's just our normal way of, of life, especially in the Western world where it seems like we're constantly moving forward at a rapid pace. You know, fear making mistakes are, they're everywhere. And it kind of sucks. It kind of sucks that people are afraid to make mistakes. And to that end, what if you're in a business where there is rigorous competition? You know, how many businesses or you know, almost every business you could say, even nonprofits, are about a competition for scarce resources. There's only so much money to go around. Oh, many, oh, only so many paychecks to go around. Maybe only so much knowledge to go around. So you have, when you have these competitive environments, you know, that maybe helps fuel the fear a little bit. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what you think about that. Uh, the authors also talk about personal responsibility and what Maslow recognized in the Blackfoot culture. Um, 
it talks about parents and raising children to to be more responsible. And obviously that doesn't apply, it doesn't really apply to the business or organization, but it might apply to the community, right? Is it possible to say or believe that if you have a community that has programs that are that are built to give younger children responsibility of decisions, of mistakes, maybe that would strengthen the community in the long run? I don't know. I think it's really good to give children responsibility. You don't want to set them up to fail per se, um, but you do want to you do want to encourage a little bit of risk taking. Mistakes are okay. Hopefully, they're not kind of catastrophic mistakes. Obviously, but mistakes are just part of life. I think it goes with the last point we were talking about. I think that's respond that's important to and responsible of, of any community. To build a community is is giving children the responsibility and holding them to personal responsibility, right? The next point the authors talk about, it's a short one. The needs of the tribe, the Blackfoot tribe, as a whole were effortlessly combined with the needs of the individual tribe members. So the needs of the whole effortlessly combined with the individual tribe members. And I think that kind of just speaks for itself. And the last point, the tribe tended not to have general leaders with general power, but rather they had different leaders for different functions. And I talked about this earlier. Thus, the one best suited to lead the Sundance was not expected to lead the representation of the tribe to the government. Each leader was chosen for a particular job based on the needs of that job. In the Coast Guard, we call this situational leadership. And it happens all the time, especially in the, in the realm of search and rescue on the water. You have boat crews, you have air crews. You know, you take a, you know, you take a Coast Guard boat crew, you know, it's a minimum of maybe, you know, three to four people, maybe upwards of six people that are all collectively coming together to affect a rescue of someone in distress or someone in peril. Different people may step up at different times to, to be a situational leader or function, functional leader in specific moments of time in that process of the, of the rescue. So I'm a big fan of situational leadership. Again, I brought it up earlier. Uh, at any point in time, any of us can be thrust into a leadership role when least expected. Not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes when, you, when it's that scenario, when you're just thrust into a leadership role, you just have to react and make decisions and pull people together. And you may not have a whole lot of time to think about how you might fail or make mistakes or maybe they're not going to like me. You know, maybe that's a good thing when you're thrust into a, a leadership role. So this is this last paragraph and then we'll wrap up lead Asafi for the day. Last paragraph on page 24, the authors write, leaders often comment on the need to create synergistic organizations where teamwork flourishes. We speak about the necessity to align organizational goals with personal goals. Based upon what we've learned from Maslow's work in synergistic cultures, have we underestimated the challenge? And I'll let you ruminate on that last question from the authors on page 24, Maslow on Management. Pick up the book 
if you're interested in organizational psychology. It's really fascinating. Uh, about halfway through it, I kind of, I read a lot of books at once. I may have 10 different books. I read three or four pages at a time. I have, um, I definitely have a attention span problem when it comes to reading. I can't, st- I, it's very, very rarely that I'll read one book all the way through. That's just me. I can't do it. Can't focus on one book all the way through. So anyways, a little insight into Tim and Leadosophy. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and life, I will say, and life. Thanks for watching, and we will see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.